Welcome to our service this morning on Palm Sunday. And the uh, first news I have to bring you is not the best of news. Reverend Shaw during the week tested positive for COVID. So he's unable to be with us and he apologizes for that. And just to make matters worse, Elena's wife and Leah's daughter have also tested positive. So we wish them all well. And indeed this morning I'm hearing about one or two other members of the congregation who have tested positive. So we wish all our friends well and a speedy recovery. So I want to say a special welcome to Alvin and a big th uh, thank you to him because Alvin has stepped in at relatively late notice to lead our service this morning. And we're just so pleased that you're here to do it, Alvin, and able to do it for us. So thank you very much indeed. Uh, if while Reverend Shaw is unwell, you need the services of a minister, please contact any elder or myself and we will look after things for you. The other announcements this morning, uh, you've got them in your order of service and they've been on the screen, but I just want to add, emphasize one or two. The Palm Sunday lunches immediately afterwards after the service this morning in the Bradley Halls, so obviously there'll be no tea or coffee here in church. Life Lounge is 7.30 tonight with a special guest, Paul Bradley, and you'll all remember Paul from past days with us. Uh, and you would have received one of these in your order of service this morning as giving details for Holy Week. Well, I'm sorry to tell you that Wednesday the 5th of April walk with me has had to be cancelled because of illness and one or two other factors. So whilst you've got it, we're looking basically at next Sunday and Friday night. Friday night is our communion and I encourage everyone to attend, please if you can possibly make it, and then next Sunday's Easter Day. Uh, those are the announcements that I have at the moment, other than to say that John Armstrong will be in the vestibule this morning, and if you want one of these from John, it's a Bible readings, a set of Bible readings, John will be pleased to give you a copy. Now, there's one more announcement, but Tom Henry is coming up to make it, so thank you, Tom. Good morning. First of all, can I thank all of you for your support and prayers over the last number of months. I'm now officially rid of the crutches, uh, as from last week, um, which is great. Um, a few weeks ago, Barry presented this report and, and, and uh, gave us an update on, on the buildings and so on. And in that report, uh, when you read through it, you'd, you'd have been reminded about in 2016, Leslie Ann brought together a group to, to think about the way forward and how to reach out to the, the uh, community out here, 31% of whom claim to have no church affiliation whatsoever. Um, uh, and there were various strategies um, evolved out of that out of that working group. And one of them, as you'll have read in this report, was, as Barry put, the reimagining of the, of the church, church buildings. Um, the church hall, as we have now, was never built as a, as, a, as a church hall. It was always built as a church. And then we moved here. Uh, but you'll also have read in the report that it needs substantial work done to it at the minute. 
the surveyor's report of 2019 uh, indicated that to fix the roof alone was going to cost something like 300,000. That's 2019. Um, now, all that talk about buildings reminded me of our 40th anniversary year when we produced these books and had something every month when we came here. And I suddenly thought to me, that I remember having the privilege at that stage of interviewing um, the widow of the First Minister of the Church, Ruby Beatty, who was 92 then, and she was brilliant. And she talked about the journey that there was to this point, that was 40 years. Um, how on that journey, uh, the, the, the uh, convener of the, uh, of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, the extension, came and I invited them to come and start a church in this area of Bangor. They were in Tyrone at that stage. And she said after much prayer and consideration, they decided they would come. Uh, and then the, that was what brought it to my mind. The first building was a way back before my time even. Uh, the hut at the roundabout, which apparently was a nursery school all week and then on Sunday became a church. And then it got too small and moved to the PCI house. And then the journey continued out here. And the story that I really loved, uh, Ruby told that night, uh, we interviewed her, was uh, about Alec coming and... Uh, the, the, the convener saying, this is going to be your parish standing somewhere about here. And at that stage, there were no houses, just fields. No houses at all, no, no Marlow or any of that area. Uh, and apparently, Alex said, well, I hope I have a bigger congregation than the two cows that are in the field. Uh, and so that journey has come along from the hut up the, the, the Donoghue Road out to the church halls, and then eventually here. Uh, and a lot of you have been part of that journey. I, I'm, a, I'm a sort of a blow-in. I only came in in the, in, the, in the 90s, but a lot of you have been there uh, from, from the very start. So what's, what's the connection here? Well, I believe that the journey continues, and I think it's a real privilege and a pleasure, but a, a responsibility for us as we continue the journey which Alec and Ruby started all those years ago, and as we come, come here. Um, I sort of feel that we as a church family are a bit like Alec. He was looking over the fence at two cows. We're looking over the fence at hundreds of houses, hundreds of families, and thousands of people in this vicinity who have no church connection, no idea about what Christ can do in their lives. And I think that's the point that we're at at this stage. Because as Barry mentioned in that report, we are the center of this community. We saw that at, at Christmas, uh, with the Christmas trees, the carol services, that's why schism comes here. There's very little heart to this community, but this church is the heart of this community, in my opinion. And that's not in any way de degrading the other churches that are there, but we actually are the only center to this whole area. And so the idea, one of the ideas of that 
group in 2016 was that we could reimagine this place so that it would be more of a civic center, so that people would be drawn to the church like a magnet. Back 40 years ago, all we had to do on a Sunday morning, perhaps, was just to open the church door and people come in. That's no longer the case. The church now has to be a magnet. People won't come through the, dirt, through the doors just voluntarily. There has to be something here for them. And so our dilemma is the minute, how do we reimagine? What do we do? And isn't it great as a family that we can come along this journey together? So what we're asking you to do, what we have to do as a church family is to pray about this situation. First and foremost, to pray about the situation. Ruby told us when Alec was in Oma, or just outside Oma, he prayed about coming here. I've no doubt when they moved from the hut to the summer house of the PCI, they prayed about it. I know there's a huge amount of prayer went into moving to this site and it must have been an awful step of faith, a huge step of faith, to, to come to a place where there weren't even houses to build a church with open fields and two cows to talk to. But they prayed about it, they thought about it, and they had the faith to step out and do something about it. And I think that's where we are today. So the first thing is, I'm asking you to pray about this situation. Pray about the report that you got from Barry. And then as Ruby and Alex did, they conversed. They talked about it themselves. They talked about it to the, the forefathers of the church, some of them I'm looking at here today. They prayed about it at that stage. They talked about it, and they came to a decision. And we as a church family um, have to come to a decision. Part of that conversation is we've made up a little questionnaire. It's quite short, and at the end of the service, I'm going to give you out the questionnaire. I didn't give it out to the start because I knew that when Alvin would be speaking this morning, you'd be looking at the questionnaire, not listening to Alvin. Alvin's far more important. But at the end of the service, would you pick up a questionnaire and over the next two weeks, pray about it. And when you have been led by the Lord, because I believe if, if, if we sink into the Lord's plans for this area, then anything's possible. At the minute, but like Alec, I can't see what's going to happen. But I do know that when we sink into the Lord's plans for this area, that amazing things can happen. And I think that's our privilege, duty, and responsibility, that we have to pray about it, think about it, and then step forward. And now, Alvin, over to you. Otherwise, it uh, wouldn't be listening to me, so thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, very warm welcome. Always such a privilege just to um, come forward and just try and lead you lovingly into the presence of Jesus because uh, today we're looking at the story. Oh, sorry, just one wee a quick announcement that, that we missed, and that was Bill Aiken was saying, Men's Fellowship, it's on your sheet for the 8th of um, March, but it's, of course not the 8th of March, it's the 8th of April, so would you please, uh, men, just um, talk to Bill if you'd like to come uh, to that.
And can you imagine in the next few weeks, you know, in the, the king's coronation, the 6th of May, can you imagine what the streets of London are going to be like? They're going to be absolutely thronged with people just dying to catch a, a, a glimpse of the, the newly crowned king, even for a few moments just to, to see him as he, as he drives by or, or whatever. And of course, Palm Sunday, that's exactly what's happening in the capital city in Jerusalem, the city of the king, the royal city. They welcome their king, King Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. It just simply means servant king. And so there's a whole crowd of people there on Palm Sunday. The streets are lined with people. They haven't got banners. They haven't got Union Jacks because they didn't have those. So they took the thing that they did have palm leaves and they waved and they shouted. And just people love crowding around Jesus. This morning, though, we're going to take a wee step back down the road. And back from Jerusalem, back down the hill, back to the, the city of Jericho. The crowd are, are there. That's where the crowd actually informed back in Jericho, made their way towards Jerusalem. And in the crowd in, in Jericho, and Jesus stops and, and, and he calls a man. He's, he's a beggar. He's a blind beggar. He's called Bartimaeus. And he is absolutely broken man. He's an absolutely desperate man. Folks, I, I, this is what I wanted to catch. There's a huge difference between a group of people, a congregation, who are happy to be with Jesus on a Sunday morning and some one person in the congregation who is absolutely desperate for Jesus, to meet with Jesus, and to experience the touch of Jesus and, and hear the voice of Jesus and to really engage with Jesus. So the big question that I have and that we're going to think about uh, today is just how desperate, how desperate are we to meet with Jesus this morning? Like it doesn't really matter whether you listen to me or not. That's not really that important. But what really is important, folks, is that you engage with Jesus and that Jesus meets with you and you experience his presence and you experience his power and you experience him as a living person, right, working in your hearts and lives. That's what's going to make a difference in here that we can carry out there. That's really it's about. So can I pray with you and then we'll worship together and we'll, we'll, we'll use our, our first hymn. Let me pray with you first. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what you're thinking in your mind. But I'd love to draw you. I'd love to draw you to Jesus. Father, we just love your presence. We love to gather in your presence. We love to declare your worth, your worthiness, your beauty, your power. Father, we love to delight our hearts in you, in Jesus, our Savior, our King, our Lord. And, and Father, we're asked that you put a hunger in our hearts for your presence. Lord, we pray, you know, God, we don't want to go back out through those doors, the same people who came in. 
And we're asking that from the very youngest child to the oldest adult, you will capture us, you'll captivate us with your love and your truth and your grace. Because we love you, Jesus. We love your presence. And that's what our hearts really ache for. Your presence, your voice, your touch, your mercy. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So let's worship, let's stand, let's worship together. Make way, make way for Christ the King. Let's do it. Super, and John's going to come, and uh, he's going to read uh, John chapter 12, uh, verses 12 to 15, just that story of Jesus coming into uh, Jerusalem. So this is God's word. The reading is from John's Gospel, John chapter 12, verses 12 to 15. The next day the great crowd that had gathered and come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey, a colt. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Thanks. Ben's going to come, uh, boys and girls, so uh, he's going to have a chat to you. Hello. There we go. Uh, boys and girls, do you want to join me up at the front? Sadly, there's no comfy seats today. You've got the big seats. You can be big boys and girls today. Come on up. Oh, this is great. There's a whole crowd of you today. They heard you were coming, Alvin, and they came in their droves. Come on up. Now, I must say, I'm giving you praise, Alvin, but you actually stole my analogy, so very disappointed, but nonetheless, I'll roll with it. So, boys and girls, as was on the screen, on the 8th of May, well, the 6th of May, but on the 8th, we're celebrating the coronation of King Charles III. Now, if he were to come through those doors right now, don't look back because he's not, but if he were, if the king were going to come through those doors, how would you pay your respects? You know, would you bow? Would you kneel? What would you do if the king were coming? You would bow. Yeah. Yeah, you'd pay your respect. Anything else? What would you do if the king was coming in here? Just bow? Yeah, you'd do that. Okay, here's another question. How would the king enter this room? Would he walk in? Would he come in a golden chariot? Perhaps on a horse? On a limo? How would the king enter this room? He'd just walk? Oh, all right. We'll see that in the coronation, maybe. He might walk. In a limo? Yeah, I mean, it struggled to fit through the doors, but he could give it a go. Yeah. Well, you see, because the king has a bold entrance, doesn't he? We saw the crowds, and on the 6th of May, when we hopefully watch the coronation, there'll be chariots, there'll be lots and lots of people, a whole procession. And yet, in our reading, we heard that Jesus, the king of kings, enters on a young donkey, on a colt. And the people, they each have one of these. Feel free to take one. Take a little palm branch. You can give that a good wave. Yeah, there you go. T take a palm on Palm Sunday. They're pretty cool. Got one? Yeah. G give them a good wave, right? Now, if the King Ch Charles was coming in here, do you reckon you'd want to wave one of those at him? You would? Might be a bit strange, wouldn't it? You think, imagine if in the coronation people were waving palm branches. It would just look a bit random. Well, that's what people did with Jesus. They waved their palm branches and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, what's going on here? Three things. First of all, we see the humility of Jesus. Does anyone know what that big word means? Anyone know what it means to be humble? No one? No one know what you mean? Okay. To be humble is the opposite of pride. To be humble is to think of yourself less. And Jesus here, it's interesting. If King Charles, as we agreed, could come in in a golden chariot, come in in a limo, he's the king, he has the right to do that. Jesus, the King of Kings, surely he could have come into Jerusalem with legions of angels on a grand horse, the grandest entrance imaginable. And yet, Jesus comes in a lowly donkey in a very humble way. Because that's who he is. He's the Prince of Peace. The donkey represents peace. And that's what Jesus does. On the other end of the spectrum, though, Jesus is actually very bold. 
What do I mean by that? Well, right before this chapter, boys and girls, we find out that the religious leaders, they're plotting to kill Jesus. And Jesus knows this, and yet he enters the most public place, Jerusalem, in the most public way with lots of people. He doesn't, he's not afraid of them. And he also knows what he's coming to Jerusalem to do. He's predicted this moment. That's right, you can keep waving your palm branches. He's predicted this moment. He knows he's coming to Jerusalem to come to the cross. He knows he's coming to do that. And Hebrews 12 verse 2, later in the New Testament, tells us that with the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus was anxious, he was distressed over the cross, but he also knew the result of it. He knew he could save his people from God's wrath, and so it brought him joy. Finally, and this is the crazy thing, right? So we've just heard that the people, they waved their palm branches, they put their cloaks down, they shouted Hosanna, and yet they are very weak-willed people. What do I mean? Well, wait till you hear this. Within five days, these same people, the same people who are waving their palm branches, who say Hosanna, shout, crucify him. How ironic is that? Can you imagine if right now you say to me, Ben, we love you, Ben, we love you, and on Friday you tell me, Ben, we hate you, Ben, we hate you. It would be a bit ironic, wouldn't it? Your words where you love me. Same as these people, they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save now. They recognize Christ as a savior. But unfortunately, they think he's the wrong kind of savior. They think that Jesus is just there to get rid of the Romans. Because at this time, God's people, the Israelites, they were under Roman control. And they thought that their savior would get rid of the Romans. Never did they think their Savior, that Jesus, would get rid of the greater enemy of sin itself. And so they recognize he is a Messiah, but not the Messiah. And so it just goes to show that people can so easily be led by the crowd. As Alvin said, we could be in here and be happy to be here but not be desperate for Jesus. And that was those people. They were there, they were saying the right things, but they didn't recognize Jesus for who he really was. And so, in five days' time, it'll be Easter Friday, we'll look at the cross, we'll look at the resurrection, but it all began with this, with Palm Sunday, with people welcoming their king to Jerusalem, but never did they realize who he really was until five days later. So, I'm just going to pray to finish, and then we're going to sing a nice song. You can keep your palm branches. But let's not be like the crowd who, with their mouths, praise Jesus, but their hearts are far from him. And let us not be led astray. So let me pray here. Um, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your son, how he showed us great humility entering Jerusalem on a colt. And how, in spite of the fact that the religious leaders wanted to kill him, that still he entered publicly. He was bold. But how weak the people were, God. With their mouths they praised you, but their hearts were far from you. And Lord, I pray that we as a people won't be led astray like that. That we can recognize you for who you truly are. Not just to conquer Romans or anything else, but you were there to conquer sin itself. And so I pray these boys and girls can recognize that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Ask you about sweets. Or, oh, so, yes. Uh, uh, so I, I, I brought some sweets to church, you know, for any boys and girls who came up. Because uh, So uh, this, kings always give out uh, wee treats. So, uh, and uh, we, we don't mind who we give them out to at all. So there you are, good man, good man. There you are, great. And if you didn't get one, and I have some more here, so just come at the end if you didn't get one, and uh, they're there for you. So uh, on YouTube, uh, Mark's chosen uh, we him uh, sing Hosanna, so uh, we'll sing that, and then boys and girls can go out to Christ's Bible Club, uh, uh, Bible class, and, and that. So let's stand and we'll worship together. go out this point. Don't you just love uh, boys and girls? Like, just don't you love their, uh, you know, willingness to, to jump in and do things? So great. We want to reach more boys and girls. We want to reach this community. We just take a moment to um, just quiet in our hearts. Um, so coming to Friday, it's Good Friday. It's, it's also too, you know, in terms of Northern Ireland, it's 25 a year anniversary of the Belfast Agreement, Good Friday Agreement, whatever you want to call it. And uh, 
the moderators asked in our churches would recognize both the progress that we've made in the past 25 years and also the struggles and the pain that's still in many people's hearts and in our land. And when you look at our land, like we're, we're not in a good way, are we? Like when, you, when we look at what's going on as, we, as a people, as a culture, we're, like we're facing so many challenges socially, economically, politically, culturally, and most of all spiritually. And if ever churches needed to be desperate, they need to be desperate now. We desperately need Jesus. Not just out there in the nation. We desperately need Jesus in here in in our churches. We need to experience the power and the presence of the living Jesus in a way that is really transforming for us as communities. We'll just take a wee moment just to wait quietly in his presence and invite him to come and to really work in our hearts this morning. We're going to look at the story of a guy who's blind, who can't see, and funny enough, though, he can see more than the people who can see. And the very people who are are seemingly close to Jesus. They're walking down the road with him. They're, they're, they're right with him there, and yet they can't see what this blind man sees. It's like Tom was saying, what, what do we see when we look at our church and, and our community? But what does Jesus see that we aren't seeing? Holy Spirit, we just come before you and just acknowledge that what we desperately need is just for you to open our eyes. Just open our eyes to see maybe what we're blind to. Jesus, would you come? Would you come to our nation? You see the struggles, you see the battles, you see all that's going on with this turf war and the UDA, with what's going on and storming politically, with what's going on with people struggling economically. You, you see, Father, just the, the ache, the angst, the anxiety, the pain in, in, in lots of people's hearts and homes. Would you do a new thing in your church, Father? Would you do a new thing in us, Father? Because our land needs you. But Jesus, we as a church probably need you more. If we're ever become that living group of people who impact our culture and society with the gospel. So breathe upon us, Holy Spirit. Breathe life upon us this morning as we worship. We just express as a community, we are desperate for your presence.
And we love you, Lord. We absolutely love you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so we'll just receive our offerings now. Um, a wee song we'll play. I'm, I'm, I don't know it. I hope and glory. But we'll just allow it to play just as uh, we receive our offering. I think that's what we're going to do.
Let's give our, our gifts and offerings and ourselves to God. And, and Father, we do just in the loving surrender of our lives, how we want you to have, you know, every part of us, every day of this week that lies ahead, every relationship that we're involved in, every financial dealing that we have at work, at home, you know, just forever, Jesus. You know, we want you to be front and central in everything so that you receive the honor and the praise and the glory. We ask in your precious name, Lord. Amen. Great, we're going to worship again. Just that, that lovely hymn, Be Still, for the presence of the Lord is moving in this place. You know, that's our prayer, God. We so want you to move in this place uh, that our hearts will be stirred and shaken uh, and uh, awakened. So let, let's use this as a worship, as a cry of our home, our hearts. Be still for the presence of the Lord. Let's stand, let's worship with joy together. Don't you long for that? Don't you long to see Jesus moving, healing people, speaking people, saving people, changing people? Don't you long for that? 
in, in this place. Let's read um, Mark's uh, gospel, and the, the, the wee passage that I want us to look together at, Mark 10, 46 to 52. As I say, it comes in Mark's gospel just before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem because he's, Jesus has been heading towards Jerusalem for some time now, and, and, and Jer- Jericho is about uh, 15 miles, 25 kilometers from Jerusalem, so uh, they're walking it. They, they always walked it. There was no limo for the king, you know. It was just walking. So, uh, Mark 10, 46, God's word. Love God's word. Because God speaks to us. Listen to him. Then they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, well, what's a large crowd? What would you describe as a large crowd? Uh, we're leaving the city. A blind man called Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside and begging. He did it every day. He had no work. He couldn't work. He was blind. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Of course, and Jesus' father, stepfather was Joseph, but he sees something bigger here. And many rebuked him, told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and Jesus stopped and said, call him, call him. I love this wee bit. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. So one minute they're shouting to him, be quiet, shut up. The next minute they're saying, cheer up, get up. You know, he's calling you. Isn't that a lovely phrase? He's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And then I, I honestly think this is the most beautiful words that Jesus says nearly in the whole of the gospel. He says this, what do you want me to do for you? Like imagine Jesus slipped in beside you in the seat where you're sitting this morning and just whispered in your ear and said, what would you really love me to do for you this morning? Like, what would you really love to happen in your heart this morning? Like, is that not incredible that God would ask you that question? I always think it should be the other way around. Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? You're God. I'm like, I'm just me. But Jesus has given you an opportunity here this morning. What do you want Jesus to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, teacher, I I want to see. Would you open my eyes? I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately, just like that, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Amazing. Have you ever been in a big crowd, like huge crowd? You know, to see some famous person walk by. Ever been midst of royalty, anybody? And, and, and that person you were hoping to see, did they actually stop nearby you or, or, or actually right with you? Like imagine if in the crowd King Charles and just stopped right with you and just looked at you and singled you out. Like how, and to talk with you, like how cool would that be? 
I wouldn't know what to say. I'm not good with royalty, to be honest. <laughs> Jesus was famous, kind of celebrated. You see from what we've read that he's surrounded, happy, noisy crowd of people, really enjoying themselves, really enjoying the moment. And yet Mark takes the camera off sight and just to the side of the road. And, and there's a man there, completely different, Bartimaeus. His life is anything but happy. He's blind. He's not able to work. He's reduced to sitting. To, to, um, to begging. Like what a demoralizing way to live your life. Like a desperate man and nobody and nothing. I know this road is always busy. It's a main road between Jericho and the end of Belfast. You know, it's a busy road like Hollywood uh, to Belfast. He senses that there's a commotion going on. There's something different going on. And when he asks what's happened, verse 47, they say to him, oh, the rabbi Jesus is passing by. Two things that, that don't come to, to mind easily, but let, let me give them to you. Number one, this is the last time that Jesus will ever pass this way again. Because he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. He's on his way to the death. He's on his way to resurrection. This is the last healing miracle that Mark records in his gospel. Nobody else gets healed according to Mark. Now we know uh, uh, something else happens. But this is the last opportunity. Folks, there are certain moments in our lives, certain opportunities, certain seasons, and we need to grasp them. Who knows that they may never have another chance. It's now or it's never. You need to grasp those opportunities. Second thing is this, passing by. The rabbi is passing by. Well, it's not just a description of what's happening here. Throughout the Bible, actually, it's a, it's a technical term. For God revealing himself to people, revealing who he is, revealing his godness, his goodness, his greatness, his power. So if you go back to something like First oh, uh, Kings 11, um, uh, sorry, First Kings 19, Elijah on the mountain, uh, you know, has this encounter with God. And, and then God says to him, go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. He's about to reveal himself to you. Go stand in a cave on the side of the mountain and watch, because God's about to reveal himself to you. Mark picks that up, actually. Moses, the same thing happens to Moses, but Mark picks it up in, in, in chapter 6. We're, do you remember in the middle of the night the disciples are out in the middle of the lake and it says that Jesus came walking on the lake to them and then it says this strange phrase I always thought it was so strange he was about to pass them by pass by them what's the use of walking out in the lake and then walk past them it's really something more he is about to reveal something fresh about himself to them that they did not know. And so this is just more than Jesus is walking down the road past you. There's more going on that meets the eye. There's something deeper going on than those who are walking with Jesus can't see with their natural eyes. But there's something this poor man, this blind, desperate man can see by faith. 
that Jesus isn't just a, a rabbi. He isn't just a good teacher. He is more than that. He is so much more than that. He is, in fact, the Messiah, the son of David, King David, Israel's greatest king, from whose line it is said throughout the whole of the Old Testament, one day someone will come, the Messiah, the Christ will come, the servant king, God's anointed one. And by faith, this blind man can see who Jesus really is. And he knows that in this moment, this is his one, maybe his only chance to get help, to get healed, to get saved, to get rescued from the awful life that he's living in. And so in desperation, total desperation, absolute desperation, this man cries out and shouts out above the noise of the crowd, the already noisy crowd. Verse 48, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Folks, there are times, there are moments, there are seasons in our lives, in our churches, in our nations, when it seems like, it feels like Jesus draws near and reveals his presence in greater ways. We call those times by various names, we call them revival. We call them outpourings of the Holy Spirit. We call them spiritual awakenings when God's presence becomes so thick and strong in a church and a community that people who are careless about God and people in churches who have known about God begin to experience the presence of God. I don't know if you're aware of some of the ways in which... um, Jesus seems to be uh, working in our world at the moment, are you? Just some of the ways that God seems to be stirring and shaking. Let me give you three uh, examples that are are up-to-date examples. Iran, Muslim nation, very, very difficult place to be a Christian. Many Christians end up in jail for long periods of time. Certainly if you're a pastor, you, you could be put to death. But sharing Jesus is not allowed. It's a crime. But it's the fastest growing church in the world. We're dying in Northern Ireland. But the church in Iran is exploding. So here's a story I heard just the other day. A, a, a woman, a Christian believer, and had a vision of God. And in the vision, she saw two women come to her door at 1 a.m. I can't remember if it was 1 a.m. in the afternoon or 1 a.m. in the middle of the night. I hope it would be for me in the afternoon because I'm wicked at night. I'm useless in the middle of the night. <laughs> and she, in her vision, she saw two women come to her door and she heard God and say their names are Mary and Jane. Well, that wasn't their names, obviously, but as you know, 1 a.m., 1 p.m., whatever it was, knock at the door, two women. We have heard that you are a follower of Jesus. And we want to know how to follow him too. And she, she brought them in. She took them through the Bible and the scriptures. She explained who Jesus was and what he's done and how he's alive and working in their country. And the two women surrendered their lives to Christ. 
and became Christians. Those two women told others there are four more women have become Christians in their small town. Amazing, isn't it? Here's the second story. Small Christian university in Wilmore, Kentucky. In, in February, have you heard this story? Have you heard about this? Just God began to move. So they're a small Christian uh, university, that, and so th they have chapel services two, three times a, a, a week in February. I think it was the 13th or 18th. Um, it was a normal chapel, some worship the students led. Guy spoke, not a great sermon. You know what that's like, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, uh, the, the students just, instead of going out at the end of the service, they, they, they stayed. They sensed something. And one girl who, who had been real awkward, really difficult, she had offended many people of her friends in the campus. She got up and she said, look, I, I want to say to you, if, if I have offended you, I am so sorry. And I want to repent of it, and I want to ask you to forgive me. And God began to move, and God began to speak and touch people, and people began to sense there was like a breaking out of the presence of God in the room. And, and other students began to confess their sins and began to repent of their sins. These are, many of them are Christian students. The population of Ashbury is 4,000 people, so smaller in Donegadee. We always talk about 7,000 people in Donegadee. 4,000. In 10 days, something like 100,000 people came to that university, to that room. They had to open a couple of other rooms. In fact, the police had to stop people coming because the whole place just jammed up with traffic. A hundred thousand people in ten days seeking the presence of Jesus, hungry for the presence of Jesus as, as the students led them in worshiping. Amazing. Amazing. Third story. Mark, last uh, uh, we mentioned to you about Roy Godwin and, and who came to Belfast Bible College yesterday. And uh, Roy and his wife Daphne, they, they were directors of a little uh, prayer retreat house in, in Wales, literally in the back end of nowhere, honestly. Linda and I were there in 2011. It is the back end of nowhere. The roads are about, well, there's only room for one car. <laughs> But listen to this. It's a story of a blind um, girl who was healed at one of their meetings. Kelly, she was called. One night in the meeting room during our evening prayers, the Holy Spirit came down in power, and, and Kelly, one of her visitors, fell with her face to the floor, asking why her eyes hurt so much. Sylvia, the wife of the volunteer who was leading the meeting, reached down and raised her up and said, come stand with me. And she gently prompted Kelly, open your eyes, this girl's blind. Kelly looked and turned and whispered into Sylvia's ear, you see that man over there? I love his shirt. 
Everybody here in the whisper, the whole room erupted in praise. She turned, she was able to recognize her husband because she once had partial sight in her eye years previously. Look at the size of the grin on my husband's face, she joyfully said. Kelly and Ian were from East Anglia. They didn't really know about Falda Brennan, but their minister had suggested that they go. And, and so they, when they were there, they read the book, The Grace Outpouring, which is the story of the retreat center, just the most incredible book. And so during the day, because they stayed for a couple of days, and Roy and Daphne, were, they're the leaders, were at that time, and they were away. And so somebody else was leading the evening service. It's a wee 20 minute, just some prayers. There was a, and here's what they said. There was an awful lot of people packed into the, the room. It's a small chapel. Um, and there's a part in our evening prayers where we pray together, Lord, wherever spiritual, physical, or emotional darkness touches me, I trust you to lighten it. And suddenly, as the people prayed those words, the Holy Spirit fell upon the people in the room, and people were calling out and weeping and bowing down, and Kelly grabbed her eyes, saying, my eyes hurt, my eyes hurt. What is going on with my eyes? She fell on her knees, crying. Bryn, who was leading, wondered what on earth he had done. He was really upset, but his wife was saying, Lord, this is fantastic. What a wonderful way uh, to, to end our time here. Kelly received her, her sight during that outpouring of the Holy Spirit that night. And Roy and Daphne came back the next morning and they interviewed her. First thing the next morning, I was able to interview Kelly and I discovered that as a little child, she'd lost her sight in one eye and then had fading eyesight in the other. Eight or nine years previous, she, her sight had gone completely. She had been totally blind. And as I looked at her, her eyes were never still. They were looking everywhere, which slightly concerned me. I mentioned this, and she explained what was happening. I'm going to have to learn to control the, them and to focus, but I can't stop looking at everything. There's color, there's light, there's shape everywhere. She was drinking in the beauty outside, the color of the carpet, the sun shining on the table, highlighting the different grain. She couldn't stop her eyes for a moment. And they explained that back home they had eight young children, two of whom they'd adopted. And obviously they wanted to get back home and see their children, but they didn't seem to be in a hurry. And that confused me. And so I said, look, why are you not in a hurry to get home and see your children? They mentioned that, well, that they'd want to go and see their minister first and talk to him, and that didn't make sense to me. And I said, look, why? And they said that they were actually frightened of seeing their children because everything would be so different. Kelly would be seeing the younger children for the first time ever. She'd seen the older children as infants eight years previously, but with limited vision. But what if she didn't like how her children looked? How they dressed? How they ate their food? Their mannerisms, their habits, all the things she had never seen. How would she ever cope? How did Bartimaeus ever cope? Amazing, isn't it? Like, have you ever seen Jesus do things like that? 
And the one thing that, that connects those stories from this story in the Bible is this desperation. Total desperation. People who are desperate to see Jesus moving in their churches today, to experience the presence and the kindness and the power of Jesus today. Like if we could see Bartimaeus' face, you would have seen the desperation on his face, but you can hear his voice in verse 47 and 49. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. This is it. This is his moment. This is a season of God's mercy. If Jesus doesn't stop now, he may never stop again. Isaiah 55 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There is an opportunity. There's a season. There's a window. There's a moment. You need to grasp the moment. And folks, I, I want to say to you as lovingly as I can, it's one thing to come to church service. It's lovely to pray and sing and chat and, and, and hear the Bible read. But there's more to church than this. Like, we're here for more than that. We're here for more than me or Mark or, or you know, Ben. We're here for Jesus. Our hearts ache for the presence and the power of Jesus to be released and unleashed in this room today. And folks, I'm, it's my feeling, and again, folks, I'm just saying to you, my heart, I see it across the church that we've lost that sense of urgency and desperation in our churches. We're like the crowds who are happy to be with Jesus and around Jesus, but we're not like, like Bartimaeus who are desperate for Jesus. There's a difference. Jesus, if you don't show up, if you don't reveal yourself, if you don't touch our eyes, if you don't open our ears, if you don't heal our hearts, if you don't speak life into our souls, we're beat. Lord, please don't pass us by. Like, we need you, Jesus, today. We need you in our schools today, desperately. Like, you know what's going on in some of our schools in Bangor. We need you in our town desperately. We know we see all this happening around us. We need you in this community. And most of all, Jesus, we need you in our churches and in our hearts and in our lives. At least I do. Because we're dying. Our churches are dying on their feet. I don't need you to t me to tell you that. Like, does it not upset you? It does. I know it does. That we're hemorrhaging our children from faith right in front of our eyes that they're leaving the church behind and our culture around us is imploding around us, like the levels of mental health, of sexual confusion, of broken relationships, of anger, of angst, of, of anxiety, of depression. It's just going through the roof in our society, isn't it? Without Jesus, brokenness is all around us. And our politicians, our health care workers, of no answer. I love those words from Jeremiah and Lamentations. Lamentations just means weeping. Cry aloud before the Lord, O walls of Jerusalem, people of Jerusalem, church. Let your tears flow like river. Give yourselves no rest from weeping day or night. Rise during the night and cry out in prayer. Pour out your hearts like water to the Lord. Lift up your hands to him in prayer. Plead for your children as they faint from hunger in the streets. Folks, our children are fainting from hunger, spiritual hunger. 
You can see it. I can see it in six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, never mind 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds. It's time to raise our voices above the noise of the crowd and the culture. It's time to cry out in prayer, as Bartimaeus does, for God's mercy. It's time that our churches cry in passionate prayer and desperate petition for God himself to come afresh and stop and move amongst us again in mercy. Like, isn't that the lovely thing about Bartimaeus? The crowd are enjoying being with Jesus, and they want to silence him. They want to rebuke him, disapprove of his cries for mercy. They will not listen, but Jesus will, because Jesus hears his cry of prayer for desperation, and he stops, and he speaks in verse 49. He calls him. Like, what a moment when the God of heaven answers the cry of a desperate heart for mercy. And then verse 50, throwing aside his cloak, he jumped his feet and came to Jesus. Like, we need to throw aside some stuff, folks, that's dear to us. His cloak meant a lot to him, but he had to let it go before he could get to Jesus. And folks, there's stuff in our hearts that we need to throw aside. There's stuff in our churches that we need to throw aside. There's stuff in our homes that we need to throw aside before we can ever come to Jesus because it's stopping us, it's hindering us. Like, what is it in your heart today that you honestly need to deal with? It needs to go. You need to break with it. You need to turn from it. You need to repent of it. You need to throw it in the bin. Like, what is it that you need to confess and repent? so that you can respond to Jesus' invitation. And 49, I love it, he's calling you. Isn't that lovely? This morning, he's not calling the person beside you who's sleeping. He's calling you. He's speaking to you in love and kindness and mercy. He's speaking to you. And with those words that I've said to you are the most beautiful words as far as I'm concerned. Jesus says, when he comes to me, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Like, what is it? What is it in your heart that you desperately need Jesus to do in your life today? And like, what a transformation from this man, from darkness to light, from despair to hope, from death to life. Because Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus releases people from demonic oppression and tormenting. And verse 52, immediately, miraculously, supernaturally, gloriously, he is healed and he receives his sight. And we're told that he follows Jesus along the way. The way where? The way to Jerusalem. The way to the cross. The way um, to suffering. And here's the final question for you. Like, how willing are you to leave today whatever you need to leave behind so that you can follow Jesus in his way? How willing are you to leave and to follow Jesus wherever he leads, whatever it takes, regardless of the inconvenience? How willing? Two questions, just as we close. Number one, what is God saying to you this morning? It doesn't matter what I'm saying to you, it really doesn't. What is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it?
was God's ante. And what are you going to do about it? I, I love to pray with people for healing, for hurt, for brokenness, for pain. So at the end, I'll go to the door and sh hopefully shake your hands. But I'll come back here, and if you would like, like me to pray with you or somebody that you know better than me to pray with you, love you too, rather than just you know, go out through the door into another week as you normally do. I'd love you to deal with Jesus and let Jesus deal with you in tenderness and gentleness and grace and mercy. I'd love you to encounter Jesus today, honestly. Will we just take a wee moment to be quiet and It's because he loves you that he wants to say those things that he's saying to you now. Father, don't let us go out through the doors without dealing with the things that you are putting your finger on in our hearts. Just come, Holy Spirit, come. Just deal with us gently. Because you know the things we're struggling with. Love you, Jesus. Love you, Lord. Amen. Will we worship just our last hymn, uh, Hosanna, loud Hosannas. <laughs>
super. And then after this, um, of course, there's a lunch across in, in, in the, the, the hall, and you are really welcome to that. So I'll just say benediction. I would also thank God for our lunch so you can go ahead and start eating. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the food and the friendship that we're going to have together across in the hall. And now may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, just come and rest on you and touch you, each and every one. Amen.